This morning, I thought it was appropriate to share with you about New Year's resolutions. Have you ever made any New Year's resolutions? Have you ever kept any New Year's resolutions? <laughs> That's really the... <laughs> but the, we all laugh because we know that the pattern is that, oh, New Year's coming. I better make, um, I better make some decisions to change my life for the new year. So part of the issue is that we are living reactively rather than planning our lives, being intentional about our lives. And God wants us to be intentional in our lives. So part of our challenge is we kind of get to the end of the year and it's, ooh, there's a new year coming up. What am I going to do in it? So we, we dream some dreams, we say some things, and 99.9% of the time, they die fairly quickly. Um, I heard a statistic some time back that gym memberships or gyms live on New Year's resolutions. <laughs> and if you are a frequent visitor of a gym, you'll know that this is the time of the year that you want to find a quiet spot because most of the machines have cues out of the doors. That's because we don't plan. And when we do plan, we plan unrealistically. God does want us to plan. He has a vision and he has goals. What's the difference between a vision and goals? Well, a vision is the destination. Where do you want to end up? Goals are the steps that you take to get there. And we set for ourselves sometimes great visions, but with completely insane or unrealistic goals in terms of how to get there. I remember one year, one of my not-so-successful uh, New Year's resolutions. I said, no, I'm going to go to Japan this year. But I did nothing about finding out about what it'll cost to get there, who, who actually flies there, who am I going to stay with when I'm there, which part of the country am I going to stay? And uh, as October approached, I suddenly realized, um, I haven't done a whole lot about this, and this is actually a pipe dream not a vision. I want to share with you one thing that I'd like to challenge you to, to, to take up as a resolution. My guess is that most of you have done it, and probably many of you are doing it regularly already. So this is not a, uh, this is not a you need to get your life right um, preach this morning. This is an encouragement to take it to the next level. To take it to the next level. And I've titled my message this morning, Let the Word Live. I'm going to be sharing from Luke 8, a very well-known passage of Scripture. But I want to share some things that I'm feeling God is wanting to say to us. Will you put these goals in place? So what is it I want to share with you? I want to share with you, I want to challenge you that you prioritize intentionally letting the Word live in you. So that's the, the vision. So what are the goals to make that happen? What are the steps we need to take? And I'm going to spend quite a bit of time as well talking about what are the pitfalls to avoid or to recognize so that we can avoid what are the goals to let the word dwell in you richly? Sorry, I can't help. That's, that's how the phrase goes in uh, Colossians. 
how do you let the word live in you? Well, the first thing you need to do is read it. I know that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, that sounds like... I was reading... uh, I read actually quite a lot over the holidays. I was really chuffed. And one of the things that I read was about this Latin phrase, Lectio Divina. And it is a way of reading the Scripture, which enables you, as you read, to try and enter into the story. What would it be like if I was experiencing this, this miracle? What would it feel like if I was standing in the crowd? What would it be like if I was the person who was pushing into Jesus? What would it be like if I was one of the disciples? What questions would I be asking? And it's got a series of uh, steps. And the first one, and seeing as it's called Lectio Divina, the first one is Lectio, and Lectio means read. So there is no way of getting away from the fact that to increase the word living in us, we need to be reading it. Okay, so if you're, if you're on board with that, then what's the next thing? What's the next step? The next step is to find the time. I have to confess to you that I have tried many times as in many periods of the day, to find time or to make time to read my Bible. Most of them have been short-lived successes because they were a great idea, but actually they're unsustainable. And ironically, the time that I first tried and I first failed with, I've actually come back to embracing as the best time of the day for me. Now, you guys probably do a whole lot better than me, but I know that if I don't start my day reading my Bible, then my day goes the way of whatever it is that I do start my day with. Do you follow that? So I need to put this first in my day. Whatever that means, i got to read my Bible first. Sometimes, because of how life goes, that means I don't get a chance to spend two or three hours praying and reading the Bible. Sometimes it's two minutes. And guess what? Neither one nor the other impresses God more. It's not about how much. It's about whether you do it and whether you do it regularly. For me, if I put Jesus first in my day by reading my Bible first, then my day fits into a fits into a pattern where Jesus is first. Let's put it like that. So hopefully you're in here, you're hearing encouragement here. This is something that we need to do. Find a time. If you don't get it right first time, don't worry. Don't give up. Zach and I were chatting the other day about what a failure is. And he said, well, when you don't get something right, you failed. Well, yeah, I suppose that's part of it. I personally believe that the only real failure is giving up. You can fail, but if you stand up, get up, and do it again, you are not a failure. But if you give up, that's a different story. Okay, let's read the scripture together. Luke 8, I'm going to read verses 4 to 15. I said this is a really well-known passage. 
And it's, it's the, the parable of the sower. If you've got a, a Bible that has headings, you're going to see that we're going to pass through three sections, and they've got three headings. The parable of the sower, the purpose of the parables, and then the parable explained. Verse 4, a large crowd gathered to him, coming from the towns, and he spoke to them using a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed. As he was sowing, some of the seed fell beside the path and was trampled underfoot. The birds of the sky came and gobbled it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil. When it came up, it withered because it had no moisture. Still other seed fell in the middle of thorns, and growing up with the seed, it choked it. The rest of the seed fell on good ground, and as it grew, it produced a hundredfold crop. After he had said these things, he cried out, The one who has ears to hear, hear these things. The disciples asked him what this parable meant, and he said to them, It's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it's given in parables, so that though seeing, they might not see, and though hearing, they might not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those seeds that fell next to the path are those that hear. Then the devil comes and takes the word from their hearts so that they don't believe and aren't saved. Those that fell on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a time, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Those that fell into the middle of the thorns are those who hear, but when the worries and riches and pleasures of this life come, they're choked by them and do not produce any ripe fruit. And those seeds that fall in the good soil are those who, when they hear the word with a good and honest heart, hold fast to it and with perseverance produce a crop. It's a well-known parable. It's also the only parable that Jesus gives us an interpretation of. It's, uh, it is... It is the one that he chooses to give as a key for understanding all the parables. And he says clearly, to you, the, the, the secrets, the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven has been given. And the fact that it's written and that we're reading it means that it's given to us. It's not some other secret knowledge like some people have believed over the centuries. It's something that is recorded for us in the Scripture. It's something that is there. When the word mystery is used, especially by Paul, but elsewhere in the New Testament as well, it's not about something that is still hidden, but it's about something that God has revealed and they're seeing the revelation of. Do you understand? So it's not something that is still hidden now, but it's something that was hidden till then, and is now revealed, a mystery, something hidden that is now revealed. And Jesus gives us, I'm going to call it the key to understanding all parables, as he gives us the explanation of this. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself, what's the difference between a parable and an allegory and a fable? Well, I had to look up the difference between a parable and a fable, and it's quite simple. They're both stories that have a single truth. The primary difference is that 
parables have people in them and fables have animals. That's the primary difference. So what's the difference between a parable and an allegory? Well, an allegory is a story where every single detail has some symbolic meaning. And a parable is a, uh, is a, it's a truth story that has one primary truth to teach. A, a teaching story that has one primary truth to give. Which means that getting caught up in all the details, sometimes, often, <laughs> in, my, in what I've seen, means that we miss the primary the primary thrust, the primary truth that is being taught. So what are the primary elements of this parable? The first element is the sower. The sower goes out to sow the seed. The sower is not specifically mapped We're not told, oh, the sower is Jesus, the sower is the father, the sower is the preacher. So when we make hard and fast rules about, oh, the sower is always the Bible or always this, the scripture doesn't say that. It just says that there is a sower and the sower sows the seed. Sowing happens. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm Psalm 19, well, 119 too but 19 is a tad shorter. In Psalm 19, the psalmist says of the Word of God, sorry, these are Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 119. They're nice and easy to remember. Are all about the Word of God. The virtues, the joy, the pleasure, the wisdom that can be gained, the, the, the value of the Word of God. Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 119. They're quite easy to remember because it's 1, 1, 9, 1, 1, 9. How easy is that? See, if you don't remember anything else, you'll remember from today that Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 119 are all about the Word of God. And they're worth memorizing. Yes, all three of them. Psalm 19 says of the Word of God, day by day the heavens pour forth speech. Night by night, they declare his glories. And that's talking of creation, speaking about God. If creation is continually speaking of God, how much more does God himself communicate with those of us who have an ear to hear? So that's a theme. That's how Jesus ends the parable. If you have an ear to hear, hear. Don't just have the ability, actually activate, use, do, hear. (laughs) So not just hear, not just hear, it passes through the vacuum between your left ear and your right ear. Actually engage with it. That is the key element of the thing. So the sower is the one who sows the seed. But the sower is always sowing. So whether it be Jesus, whether it be the Bible, whether it be the preacher, whether it be some child in the road who you just happen to bump into, and God speaks, sows the seed of the Word through them, those of us who can hear, let us hear. 
it is amazing how we can ignore certain sowers because of our prejudice. For those of us who've been parents and are honest with ourselves, we will know that God has spoken to us through our children more than once. Can we receive humbly the seed that is sown by the sower? The second element of the parable is the seed. And this he does tell us what it is. This is the Word of God. So this parable is about the fact that the Word of God is being sown. And the third element of the parable is the soil. So there is a sower who is sowing the seed, and the seed is the Word of God, and the seed is falling on soil. Those are the elements of the parable. I have, I have read about how in the Middle Ages, there were fights about what the birds of the air represented. And were they blackbirds, or were they ravens, or that is missing the point. These three elements are the core elements of the parable. The word is going out. The seed is the word. It falls on soil. And the soil, and this is unique to Luke because Luke brings this out very strongly. The soil is our hearts. This is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I spent quite a bit of time going through the subtle differences between them. Each of those authors remembers a different emphasis that Jesus brought out. Just a little aside on this. How many times do you think Jesus um, preached, told, taught this parable? Once, you reckon. How do you think they remembered this story if he, if he just said it once in three years? Do you remember what... Uh, what I said last week, no, two weeks ago. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Good one, Mike. <laughs> well, let me tell you this my children can hardly remember from walking out of the room what I said. I would like to suggest to you Jesus told this and all the other parables multiple times, many, many, many times. Why? Because this was a core part of his teaching, is that the Word of God is going out all the time. What state is your heart in to receive it? He was going over it again and again and again. Why? Because it was a core truth that he wanted. Do you think that he told it with the exact same words every single time? Or do you think he told it with the exact same meaning every time he told it? So do you think that it's possible that Matthew remembers the one emphasis the one day, and Mark remembers the one emphasis the other day, and Luke remembers another emphasis on the third day? It's possible. Thank you for that considered opinion. I honestly believe that that is why there are what people have called discrepancies, differences between the Gospels. It's because many of these stories um, happened multiple times. How many times do you think Jesus met 
demonically possessed people, people who needed healing, people who were deaf, mute, young, old. It wasn't a single thing. It was the same thing over and over and over again. And that's why we have recorded. And that's why John says at the end of his gospel, if everything that Jesus did and said was recorded, I'm not sure that we could physically fit the books on the surface of the planet. In other words, you're getting a synopsis. You're getting the highlights. These things Jesus said, and he said over and over again. So the three elements of the parable. The sower, who is whoever God is using to spread the seed. The seed, which is the Word of God. And the soil, which is the state of our heart that the seed of the Word falls into. Right. So let's look quickly at the four types of soil that the parable talks about. The first type of soil is the path. And the pa- a path or a way is a common biblical metaphor for a way of life. What happens to the seed that falls on the path? Well, you see, here's another one of those, those fascinating little um, differences between the Gospels. Here it says... The seed fell next to the path. It didn't fall where he was walking, though it does say that it was trampled underfoot. It fell next to it. When you hear the word, when you read your Bible, when you hear someone talking about Jesus, when you listen to a sermon, does it kind of sit next to you? Does it fall next to whatever it is that you're doing? You remember I said, I've discovered for me that I need to make sure I put my first connection with Jesus, my reading of the Bible, first in my day. Or else, my way, my road, my direction, my path goes in one way. And then, if I read the Bible later in the day, it's cool, but actually, so often, it falls next to the path because I'm already going in a particular direction. I'm already going my own way. The seed falls next to the path. My heart has already become hard, and the seed bounces off. It just lies there, and if it just lies there, whoever's following me tramples it on the ground. Two things that it says. Because it doesn't go into the soil, just sits on top, it is trampled underfoot. It is easy to treat God's Word to our great shame, and I mean all of us, including me most definitely, with contempt. To trample it, not taking it seriously, not giving it the focus, the attention, the single-mindedness that it needs. Man, if you've got a busy day, it is so difficult not to allow the busyness of the day to dominate your thinking. It requires us to be super intentional about putting Jesus first and putting the other stuff aside. A very uh, useful uh, technique in terms of managing that thing is to have something that you can write on and a pen, obviously, something to write with, so that when a thought 
comes to you that is wanting to dominate and take you off on a path, you write it down. Because then you can legitimately put it out of your mind. Take it out of your RAM. It's in your long-term memory. It's written down. And give the Word the attention that it needs. Because if it doesn't have the attention that it needs, the hearts become hard and the seed falls by the way. After it's been trampled, it says that the, the, the devil comes... Well, it, the parable says the birds of the air come along and gobble it up. They don't have a little um, a peck, peck, peck. It uses the word gobble. They devour it. They consume it. They, it's gone. Chop, chop. In Jesus' interpretation, he says, the devil comes and takes it away. It's, it's, it's fascinating, particularly in Luke's uh, version of the interpretation, how he explains it. He says, the devil comes and snatches it away so that you can't believe and so that you can't be saved. In other words, it's not enough to just read the Bible. If you read it and it goes in one ear and out the other, if you read it and it falls flat on a hard heart because other things have taken priority in your mind, then the devil comes and steals it and it has no fruit. It finds no purchase. It can't change you. And God is in the business of changing us. We have to be intentional or else some of the seed can fall by the wayside. The second kind of ground that it says, as the sower sows the seed, talks about rocky soil. So it's soil that has rocks in it. Soil that doesn't have any depth is what it seems to be talking about. Soil that prevents good roots from forming. That is the key element of this particular kind of soil. It's soil that prevents roots forming. Roots form below ground. We don't see them. It's difficult to see. It's also interesting in, the, in Jesus' uh, interpretation, explanation of the meaning of the parable. He said, these are those who receive the word with joy. We would think, man, that is fruit of salvation fruit of the Word of God coming and finding purchase. And it does. (laughs) Sorry, we battled to get the alarm on the other side of the school off this morning. So I'll speak up. Jesus gives this interpretation. These are those who receive the Word with joy, but when trial and persecution come... Because of the Word, in other words, when they have to stand on the Word, when we have to actually put what we've heard, what we've read, what we've seen in Jesus, when we have to put it into practice, when we have to hold it as our value, then the fact that there's no roots show up. With these last storms that we've had along our our road, would have affected you guys too, we had two big trees come down right across the road. And when we, uh, and we had to drive past them for like three or four days because it's that time of year when the municipality's got no one to send out. But as we drove past them day after day, it quickly got noticed 
that the reason these, tre- these particular trees fell over is because their roots weren't strong. There's just this little bolus of, of, of broken off root that you can see as the tree has fallen over. They look amazing above ground. Big and strong and leafy green. But when the persecution comes because of the word, Jesus says, because they have no roots, they fall over. One of the things that means for us, my dear friends, is that trials, challenges, and persecutions because of the word will come to us. I'm not a prophet of doom. I'm just saying that the word will be tested in us. And how we respond, how we receive, whether we're able to stand on the word, shows whether there is a root. Roots are also uh, grown in the secret place, in the quiet place, in the hidden place. Roots are not grown above soil, but under the soil. It's not the joy that we show in the public meetings. It's not the rah-rahs and our great scriptural knowledge that we share at our connect groups. It's not that. As much as those things are good, that's not what will keep us going when the challenges come, when the word is tested. It's the time we've spent with Jesus in their private place, wherever that is for you. <laughs> I have the story. This is a bit nauseous, but I have to tell you the story. Um, my friend Kenny Rue talked about when he was uh, when he was still working for the the sugar mills that the only place he could get any peace to have his quiet time was in the toilet. So that's how he started his day, and it became, it became known that he would go to the toilet for 20 minutes before, the, before work started, because that was where he found the time. But when the challenges came, when the, when the trials came, that was where the root had been formed, in that quiet, private place before Jesus. So wherever that quiet place is for you, Find it, even if it's a toilet. You need to find it because that's where the roots need to be formed. What do I mean by that? When the word comes, we hear it. We hopefully understand it. Then we need to ask, Lord, what does this mean for me? How does it apply in my life? How are you actually telling me that this impacts me? And that is the thing that we need to engage with in order for the roots to grow. Roots are what enable the tree to grow up. They're like, they're like um, natural foundations. Can't build up if you don't have the foundation. So those roots form the basis of what is able to stand upon it. That's the rocky soil. The joy isn't fake, just to go back to that thing. The joy isn't fake. It just doesn't have any root. Just an interesting thought. The third, the third kind of soil or the third kind of ground is the seed that falls amidst, in the middle of, 
among thistles. I cannot help reading this parable and not thinking of Eeyore. But uh, thistles are weeds. What is a weed? A weed is a plant that is growing where it shouldn't be. It's not a kind of plant. There is no genus weed. It is a plant that is growing where it shouldn't be. There, are, there were things that I planted in the garden at, at the first house that Nadine and I had that I knew those things were weeds where I grew up. But man, they looked amazing in my garden there. I wanted them there. So they weren't weeds. They weren't weeds in my garden. But where I had been previously, they were weeds. A weed is a plant that is growing where it shouldn't be. If the field has been prepared for seed to be sown, there should be no weeds. So this is a, this is a kind of soil that is unprepared, unready, unwilling. It also interests me that, that he chooses uh, thistles as, a, as an example of a, of a weed here, because a thistle is prickly. How do you know if there's, uh, if there's weeds in your heart? Maybe if you're a little prickly. How do you know when, uh, when your heart is not prepared for what God is sowing? If it feels a little prickly when you read the Bible and it's like, okay, quickly let's move on to the next passage. And what does Jesus say these, these weeds are? what these weeds represent. He tells us that they are life's worries. Man, there is plenty for us to worry about. Legitimately and illegitimately. And the scripture never tells us worrying is sin. But it does command us not to worry. How how does that work? It tells us that we need to take our worries to Jesus. We need to trust him. We need to believe in him enough that we will, we will be okay. Belinda's testimony from just now. Hear the voice of the Lord. Do what the word says. Because God knows what he's doing and he has a plan. And he will work it out. That's not the same as being the proverbial ostrich and sticking your head in the sand. It is taking your Um, your worries to Jesus and leaving your worries with Jesus. I'm sure you've heard this before, but courage is not the absence of fear, but the overcoming of fear. Jesus is not telling us, oh, you never have to worry about anything else in your whole life. He's saying, bring your worries to me and leave them with the one who can deal with them. And I will see you through. Life's worries. Riches. Again, it doesn't tell us riches are sinful. It doesn't tell us wealth is sinful. But he says, watch out. Wealth can be like thistles. 
if they become the path that you're walking before you've allowed the seed to fall and find root, then it can and will eventually trip you up. Thank God for people that God has blessed with wealth and are godly. And I mean that quite literally. But riches can be like thorns. They can choke the life out of your faith. I'm going to say a little more about that just now. The third thing he says is the pleasures of this life. The Greek word there is hedomai, from which we get the English hedonistic. The pleasures of this world. Man, if that is our focus, to get as much pleasure out of life as possible, then it will choke the word. Because the word calls us sometimes to deny those pleasures. In two weeks' time, we're going to be having a week of prayer and fasting. Why do we fast? So that we can punish ourselves. No! I I actually think that fasting and tithing are very close together. Because both of them are incredible faith statements. With tithing, I say... I believe that I can live on the 90% better than I can live on the 100%. With fasting, I'm saying I believe that my stomach is not the director of my life and that I can live better without having this meal or these two or these three or these four days worth of meals or whatever it is than I can with, with filling my stomach. And you know what that does? If you can embrace the fact that this is a statement of faith, man does not live by bread alone. Women too, by the way. When we make those statements, when we put those things into action, we are putting our faith into action. Just in case you didn't know, fasting's not uncomfortable. No, fasting is uncomfortable. Fasting is not comfortable. It's amazing. You can have a routine that... uh, You skip lunch every day. But if that day you're fasting and you're fasting lunch, even though you always skip lunch, you're going to be starving at lunch. You've got to engage your faith. Fasting is not about the the physical thing. It's about saying, I don't just live by sight. I don't just, just live by my attitudes. I live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Just quoting Jesus there. And... Uh, I think it's uh, Matthew, also says, and other things. So the fact that he's given us these three doesn't mean these are the only three things that can choke the seed. When Jesus is explaining it, he explains what choking the seed means. It doesn't mean that it doesn't come up. It means that it does come up with, with the weeds, with the thistles, What it means is that it never produces ripe fruit. And that's a very interesting phrase because it's not, it doesn't produce fruit. It never is able to produce ripe fruit. In other words, the, 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 the grain, the head forms, but when you look inside, there's nothing inside. Or the grain has not formed in such a way that you can actually eat it or process it. 
It has the appearance of just about to be fruitful, but never getting there. It never comes to maturity. How many of us have been believers for decades? God wants to bring us to maturity. But if we're honest, sorry, this will be the only major challenge. If we're honest, we're not actually that much more mature than the month we got saved. This is a year, 2019, this is a year that the leadership of this church believes God wants to take all of us into a new level of maturity. He wants us to have, to bring, to come through, for our fruit to come through to maturity so that he can enjoy it. That's not a slap in the face. That is an encouragement. That's God's commitment to us. He wants us to do this. He's warning us these things will choke us so that we don't get there. So therefore, get rid of the thistles, the last kind of soil, the good soil. I'm quite fascinated. In Jesus' explanation of this, he says a couple of fascinating things. First of all, in Luke, he doesn't say how much more the, the return on the sowing is. In the parable itself, he says, hey, the seed that falls on the good soil will give back a hundred times. The other two gospels say some 30, some 60, some 100. And uh, the other gospel is the other way around. But here he just says, no, it's going to give a hundred. And when, he ex- when Jesus explains it, he says, no, it will be fruitful. It will produce a harvest. He doesn't, it's not about how much. As Luke remembers, it's not about how much. It's about do you produce fruit? So many of us get so hung up on having to be the best. It is a common problem, by the way, in case you, you, you naturally struggle with it. And God does want us to be excellent. He is excellent beyond our ability to measure. So this is not about being slapkat, forgive me. This is about being fruitful as he calls us to be causes us to be fruitful. What's the difference between these what's the difference in the seed between these four soils? Nothing. The seed is good. It's where does the seed fall? What fall? What kind of soil is waiting for it? That's the difference. Seed has everything it needs to be fruitful. How fruitful the seed is is not about the soil. Well, it's it's not about the seed. What did I say? I've confused myself. Let me say that again. How fruitful the seed is is not about the seed. Let me, let me just scrap that. Start again. How fruitful the seed is depends on the state of the soil. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. I was hearing the voice of the Lord there in, in your rebuke. So where is, where is the soil of your heart at? If we're honest, our lives are probably a little bit like it is described in this parable. We have sections that are good soil. 
we are able to hear the word, rejoice and receive it. Thank you, Jesus, and well done, good and faithful servant. God is wanting to encourage us to find the areas that need to be plowed up, where the thistles need to be dug up, taken away, where the stone that prevents his word taking root needs to be taken out of the soil and removed from the field. These are the areas that he wants us to grow in. For every single one of us, that is a different thing, or probably different things. We all have strengths, and we all have blind spots. God is going to be highlighting the blind spots. Anar. There's going to be some Anar in that revelation. But God does it because he's made provision for his seed to come and to bear fruit, much fruit, fruit that remains. That final phrase of um, Jesus' explanation in Luke is all about how a good heart receives good fruit and by perseverance produces a crop. So there are no, there's no instant, uh, there's no McDonald's gospel in here. There's no quick fix. There is perseverance in doing what is right. But if we persevere out of a good heart, he is able through the seed that is good to multiply the goodness of that word a hundredfold. Can I ask you to stand? I challenge you, will you make your New Year's resolution to let the Word live in you? It can only live in you when it's bearing fruit. It's not enough to hear. We need to obey. Will you involve God in all the decisions that come your way? having sought him in his word, having looked for him, having tried to find out what pleases him. If you have, then I'd like to pray for, for all of us together. Let's close our eyes. Lord, we come before you this morning, having heard your word, as it challenges us to put your word first, to allow your word to find good soil in our hearts. We choose this morning to allow your word to live in us. Lord, we make that decision. But we ask you, by your spirit, to help us live it out, to help us follow it through, to help us to put down roots in the private place, to clear away the thistles and thorns so that the soil of our heart is ready to receive what you want. We don't want anything to distract us from hearing you. We want to be fruitful in all the ways of our lives, not having hard paths where the word just falls by the wayside but have you involved in everything that we are and everything that we do. So we commit ourselves to you. 
for 2019. Thank you for the plans that you have for us. Good, pleasing, and perfect plans. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.